welcome. Hello, fellow junkers. My name is Nancy Cowles. I am a proud vintage shop owner in Phoenix, Arizona. The name of my shop is Everything Goes. It's about a 5,000 square foot store filled with what we like to say one of a kinds and hard to find. I love when people come into the shop and they're looking all around. They're like, oh my gosh, where did you get all this stuff? Well, let me tell you, it doesn't just appear. And that's the name of my podcast. If you guys have never been to my shop, let me just tell you a little bit about when you walk in, you're going to see a bunch of different spaces. Each space is rented by a different vendor that has their own personal taste. Today, I am with one of my vendors. His name is Nick, and Nick is known as the vinyl record dude. And you could only guess what Nick sells at my store vinyl. Nick, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good. Nick, I have known, gosh, I don't know, maybe five years now. Nick has about mm -hmm. 500 square feet and it's filled with all kinds of music, memorabilia, albums, 45s, turntables, electronics, a little bit of everything is what we say. Books. How did you get the name The Vinyl Record Dude? So I used to go to a lot of auctions and buy records and no one was buying records, absolutely no one. It was when the economy was bad, nobody wanted records. And I would just buy all the records. And so the auctioneer one day said, where's my vinyl record, dude? Where's he at? Who's buying these records? <laughs> and generally, I would get everything for the opening bid. And then he just started asking, where's my vinyl record, dude? And that was like 15 or 16 years ago. And I said, oh, when I incorporate myself, I'm going to call the business Vinyl Record Dude. That is funny. And a couple of years later, I did that. And so what state was that in? Was that in Arizona? I was here, yeah. The Vinyl Record Dude started about 15 years ago, the name. And then how long have you been in business? I've been incorporated as a business 14 years, but I've been selling records on the internet for 20 years. Now, um, we are actually in Nick's shop, which I'm going to have some photos. Tell right. us a little bit about the warehouse so they could kind of get a visual of where we're at right now. Um. There's all kinds of crazy, wacky things hanging everywhere. There's very little space left on any wall. <laughs> um, generally, we come across something weird like a, a monster's record jacket and we hang it on the wall or pin it up. And that's been done over about the last nine years. People bring things, photographs and artwork and you name it. It gets dropped off here. Kind of looks like a weird museum of an insane person. <laughs> and uh, there's giant red records hanging everywhere. We have, I like the Dennis the Menace. That's cute. Yeah, that's a pretty funny one. What year is that from? Late 50s, early 60s. Notice it's a, a small child holding two real looking guns, which is pretty <laughs> crazy. Uh, you wouldn't get away with that today for sure. But um, yeah, just wacky things everywhere. And then the back half of the warehouse is kind of all business. It's just a bunch of organized inventory. And it's very organized. I just took a tour back there and I was like, what are all these numbers, Nick? And what did you tell me? Pick numbers, just like Amazon would have, just like anywhere else you sell an item and it has a number to locate it. And how many albums are back there approximately? Um, well, albums, 45, 78, so we have about 600,000 records in the warehouse. And all of them are in top condition? Some of it's really nice. It's a mix. Well, I'm looking back there and everything is so organized. I love that. So my first question is, how did you get started in this? Um, hobby turned career. I just collected records, you know, and music in general since I was a teenager, really, and had a ton of CDs and got into records and just started buying and buying records and then selling them on eBay when eBay was free to support <laughs> my habit. Basically, I'd buy a collection and keep the two or three I wanted and support the habit. Did a lot of other things along the way, but just kept selling and collecting records and massing a bunch and 
decided to go with this full time at one point. Before you did albums, records, sales, what did you do before this? Well, I have a degree in industrial design. I did prototype engineering for a while. And um, I did IT sales for a while. Tried to start an IT company for a while. Lots of sales, every sales gig under the sun, from car audio to health insurance. Nick is done. (laughs) (laughs) The love of music started when you were a kid. Did you play an instrument or did you just love music? I just loved music. I kind of remember my mom playing records on like an old school council in some living room that we never were supposed to go in. or It seemed like we never went in. And that was kind of my first memory of playing records that just like kind of some wacky stuff. I don't even remember what she played. And then I would make my grandma play records every time I went to her house too. I was just really fascinated by it when I was a little kid. I think the mechanical aspect of it fascinated me. And just it's it sounded different than the radio. And I, I thought, I probably didn't realize it then, but the sound quality is so much better than, than a lot of the other formats and things that are out there. And it was just always something that really fascinated me. And So from a young age, you fell in love with music. Did you have a certain band that you loved? Or it, the band that you loved in the 70s and the 80s, is it the band you still are in love uh, with well, today? I grew up like in the 90s. I was into a lot of grunge rock, alternative rock punk rock, um, things like the Ramones to Nirvana to Pearl Jam, um, a lot of like heavy metal stuff. And you collect all that? <clears throat> yeah, I have a bunch of that to this day. And then I just kind of got into everything. Now I, I'm like cross the board. My record collection ranges from Slayer to the Beatles to Nora Jones to Dave Brubeck to James Brown. I didn't um, hear any country goes, yet. On and I have a lot of modern country, a okay. lot of Johnny Cash, Robert Earl Keane. Going to see a Lucero show tomorrow night, that's kind of like a hybrid of country and alternative rock and punk rock. So you're a music lover of all kinds. Yes. That's awesome. So when you look back at how it started and where you're at today, what do you think has made you successful? Because we're going to talk about in a little bit how many albums you sell, because you sell a boatload of albums. Why do you think you're successful in what you do? Um, it doesn't feel like a job. I just enjoy <laughs> it. You know, I come into work and we're just dudes hanging out in a warehouse playing records for the most part. Because you do have to, I mean, when you go out and find the records, because it doesn't just appear, right? Correct. And you have to bring them back. You have to listen to them because we're going to talk about the process that you go through to make sure that everything is in the order of selling because you don't want to sell something that has that's damaged that's warped no not unless it's something insanely rare you know most of the stuff has to be in in listenable playable condition so every album that comes in here do you listen to no you can't listen to everything you we listen to a lot of stuff but you have to visually grade a lot of things at, at a certain point playing enough records you can kind of look at a record and mostly tell what it's going to sound like you know, and, and different labels sound different ways and different eras of records are pressed a different way. So, you know, you can look at them and, and decipher the condition kind of by looking at it at a certain point. I've learned a lot. Now, I'm obviously not as good as you are, but because Nick has a warehouse that he brings all the stuff in, he cleans it all, inspects it, grade it all, package it. Catalog it. But when it comes then to our shop, they're all graded. So it will say 
if it's in good shape, very good shape, mint, near mint, all of the above, correct? Correct. So when you get it into the warehouse, you're opening each album sleeve to make sure that the sleeve, the LP, and the cover all go together. Correct. Because I'm sure you've opened up a lot of covers. Jackets. Jackets. Okay. And the wrong LP is in there. Oh, yeah. That happens a lot. And when we were touring, I just saw a picture on the wall and I said, who's this girl? And you said? Um, Some random girl who put her high school photograph in her record. (laughs) And it's on the wall in here. Yeah. if If you leave your high school photos in your records and bring them here and sell them to us, you'll get immortalized in our warehouse. You <laughs> That's get hung nice. On the wall. You get hung on the wall. Yeah, we have a lot of weird pictures of people standing next to their cars they had in high school, <laughs> putting, leaning their head on their fist and typical high school photographs. The senior photos. Like that, yeah. So you're going to open up each one and there's a cleaning process? Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit um, how you do that? So we use spin cleans. Um, very, very minimal chemicals. Almost all chemicals are bad for records. 99% of the things you read on the internet about cleaning records with chemicals are absurdly wrong. I don't even know how they get such high rankings on Google. Um, so minimal chemicals, mostly just distilled water. And then the, the higher end stuff, anything over about 10 bucks, we run through an ultrasonic cleaner. So it's kind of like how you clean your jewelry. It's with ultrasonic waves. No brushes touch the record. No chemicals touch the record. The record runs through a machine and ultrasonic waves clean it and then it blows it dry. And um, we have a changer that'll do like five of them and run them through. And then when it's done, I want five perfectly clean records. Um, But yeah, don't use chemicals on records, kids. (laughs) Don't use wood glue on records. Alcohol will, will tarnish the surface. It'll take that glossy sheen off of the record and actually start to flatten the grooves and the peaks of the the grooves. And alcohol is actually the worst thing. And you'll see over time, all these people have used alcohol on records. Most of the cleaning solutions had alcohol. It's really, 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 really bad. So when you open um, a jacket and you see an album that comes out, you can tell if it's been cleaned with alcohol a lot. Lots of times, yeah, if they use too much, it it takes the gloss off of the record. So you could tell right away. It'll lose its sheen, yeah. And what that does is it causes background static when you listen to the record. You'll hear like a a background distortion. Very interesting. So my other question is then when you open it, if the sleeve does not match the jacket, do you have, I'm going to look at this, um, this album right here, Bobby V Live. Let's say you have 15 of those. And one of them, the jacket is trashed. But then there's another one, the jacket's really good. Can you pull an album and a sleeve and put it in that jacket? Or is there a special number that goes with? It's got to match. Everything has to match real specifically. So there's different pressing plants, different, you know, catalog numbers. Is it mono? Is it stereo? U.S. pressing. Um, There's different issues to a record. So like an early Beatles record that was pressed the year it came out, 1969, is going to be different than the reissue of it from 1974, 1982, 1986, current day. So all of that has to correlate. But we do have a database of mismatch stuff. Okay. And things come in. Sometimes people will bring stuff and all the jackets will be moldy. And, um, you know, we'll pluck all the vinyl out because the vinyl will be near men or something. And 
we'll catalog that in a database, a back-end database that people can't see or anything. It's not active anywhere. And then when we get other things and we match them up. Sometimes I look at an album and then I see on the inside there's that um, there's the label and then there's that little black shiny part and then there's numbers in there. What are those numbers? Well, that's a dead wax area where it doesn't play, you know, from the between the grooves and the label. It's called the dead wax. Um, a lot of people refer to those as like matrix numbers or stampers. There's all kinds of different terminology for it. That indicates a, a bunch of different things. What pressing plate usually that it was pressed with, who mastered the record, sometimes where it was pressed at. Was it made in Scranton? Was it made in Jacksonville? Was it made in L.A.? Um, a, a lot of different various things are, are put in there. Um, some people collect certain records mastered by certain people, such as like Robert Ludwig, Rudy Van Gelder, and that dead wax area will tell you like, most of the time, who mastered the record? Not always, but most of the time. Some of those different variations in that dead wax will tell you, okay, this one sounds better than the other versions because it was pressed at this factory where they had better quality control or used better vinyl or this person mastered it. So to really hardcore record people, that area is pretty important. That little number, let's just say it says 14074, is that the same on a whole bunch of albums or that album only so the everything has kind of like a catalog number and usually that's like the catalog number for the record or for the pressing plate they used but then that specific record could have different people mastering all the different versions so they could use the same catalog number in the dead wax different factory it could have been made at all kinds of different things. okay so, yeah, i always so. wondered i see that little thing that looks like it, it's a wealth of information really in that that dead wax area, yeah, and it's a tremendous amount of stuff to learn. I mean, it, to to most people that just want to play a record, it doesn't mean anything <laughs> at all. It's really for completely insane people like me that want a special version of something because this Pink Floyd record, in the background, he said something, and you can hear it on the one record, and you can't hear it on the other. Oh, so, you know, that's, okay. That's the specifics. Of so I'm sure that album's going to cost more than maybe another one right different mixes and different versions can be more collectible based on that information hmm. so very see that i learned yeah. something again because i always saw that little number but i wasn't sure another thing um that i learned this week and you know because i called you is there was a gentleman that came in and he purchased do you remember the album that um he said it was oh like the a bootleg a live bootleg yeah like yeah. a tmoq or something so yeah. what does that mean so people back in the day, snuck recording devices into concerts and recorded a lot of concerts and then cut albums out of it. To make money? Yeah, to make money or to just have the live recordings and sell them, usually to try to, un in, an, in an unsavory way, make money. It's usually unlicensed stuff, bootlegs or whatever. Yeah, there's just all kinds of variations of bootlegs too. It's And there's a lot of people out there that collect just bootlegs. Yeah, there are people that collect the bootlegs and some bands care if you sell them. Some bands don't. Some labels care. Some labels don't. Some bands like, you know, Kiss and Bruce Springsteen get really, really upset when you try to sell their bootlegs. Mm -hmm. They will try to sue your brains out. And um, other bands, you know, I, there's tons of bootleg Bob Dylan stuff. And I don't think 
anybody really seems to care if you sell it and certain right. people like that. They haven't made bootlegs into this style in a really long time. So most of this stuff is is old used stuff at this point. It's not. There's a few companies still making bootlegs and doing some sketchy stuff, but most of the old school Beatles bootlegs and stones and stuff like that. I mean, it's not a situation where anybody's really making money on it except for the person who buys it used and is trying to resell it now. Okay. And that would be me in my case. And there, you know, there are bands that get mad and we just, we don't sell that stuff. Right. I was just yeah. wondering how all that was because I yeah. collected bootleg and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. So yeah. I learned real quick. Yeah, there's tons and tons and tons of bootlegs out there from back in the day, especially. How many albums do you have in your collection about? Well, overall records, probably about 3,000. And do you listen to them every day? Mm, different things. Yeah, we play a lot of it here at the warehouse. I play a lot at home. I keep way too much. You keep too much. And then every like six months, I'll say, okay, I got to thin out my <laughs> collection so I can make some money. Right. Because it's, uh, that's the downside of what I'm doing is I'm making a living off of something I want to keep. <laughs> so it's, it's very hard. Give us a story on something that you find that you really thought was a funny story or interesting. Because do you travel outside of the state of Arizona? Yeah, I've been to Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, New Mexico, California, driven across country, Nebraska, all kinds of different places. And people reach out to you? Sometimes people reach out to me. Sometimes I find collections. You know, I've been doing this so long now. A lot of times it's just people calling me. I get 25, 30 calls a day. People trying to sell me records on a on a normal day. I have to screen it a little bit even at this point because it's so many. As far as a, a strange story, I have all kinds of strange stories, but probably something that really sticks with me the most is I went to an auction and it's not an auction that really sells records. It's like a state auction. They clean out estates and it, it's one of the few good auctions left. I mean, most of them, it's just people, stuff they can't sell on eBay, take it to an auction house. Okay. Can't sell it at your garage sale, take it to an auction house. I mean, most of them, I, I don't think personally are good for me anymore. But this one in particular had four boxes of like old school 50s blues records and R&B and early rock and roll. I'm talking... Early Lightning Hopkins, Lula Reed Records, Howlin' Wolf Original Records, Early Muddy Waters, Little Walter, all those original pressings, just stuff that's unheard of that you never, ever see. And this is four boxes full of that stuff. What year is that from about? 54 to like 62, most okay. of it. And in just unbelievable condition. Most of these were styrene and not vinyl, so they're like a really hard plastic and they wore really heavily when they were played more so than vinyl does. And so, you know, I'm at this auction bidding on them. I've got everything for a really incredible price. There was only one other person bidding against me, bid me up to about a hundred bucks. And then I talked to her afterwards and she was like, Oh, I don't even know anything about records. I just thought my son would like him and I'd send him to him somewhere. And <laughs> I'm, I, it was just really funny because this this was like fifty thousand dollars worth of records that I now, bought. Now, did you know what albums were all in there before the auction? Oh yeah, I went through and I looked at them and inspected them, and it was just really funny that I probably would have got them for the opening bid if this random lady that I've never even seen. You know, most of the people you know, it I knew at the auction circuit from going to all of them. But she wanted them for her son. She, she wanted them. Even... She didn't even know what it was. I oh mean, my gosh. just like oh, they looked cool. So you got them. Yes. And did you keep any? I kept like a dozen of those. 
I kept about 20 and then over the years I thinned it down a little bit if I needed a couple hundred bucks or something. But I kept like some Howlin' Wolf and Little Walter and some things that I really, some of my all-time favorite blues records. That's yeah. awesome. On one of my podcasts recently, I talked about how many phone calls I get a day. Everybody's selling something. Their grandma died, their aunt died. And I'm the same way. I've learned to screen. At first, we used to run out there and get everything, and then we've learned. When you go out to people's house and they say, I have a whole bunch of albums, you ask what they have. You have a van. I saw it. Your van says? Paying cash for records. And you drive up, and you go to their homes. Who knows what their house looks like, right? All walks of life. And you walk in there. Do you go through every single album, or do they say, we have a little bit of this, a little bit of that? Lots of times people bring their records here to the warehouse. You know, it's usually... The typical collection I buy is like 100 to 500 records. Okay. And somebody with 500 records thinks they have a lot of records. But in the grand scheme of things, that's really not that many records because there's gazillions of records in the world. And, you know, we have a couple hundred thousand plus here, half a million plus here. You know, the standard collection usually just comes through the door. When I go out somewhere, you know, it's usually thousands and thousands. You just can't look at everything. I remember you went to Globe. Yes, and did you take like a Penske truck or something? We drove to Globe. So I, I talked to the guy on the phone a lot and kind of qualified it where I felt like it was worth going out there. And for anybody who's listening that is not from Arizona, Globe is about two hours away? Yeah, Globe's up in the mountains. It's about two hours from me. So you really had to kind of know that this was going to be a good collection. Yeah, yeah, we talked a few times and it was an old electronics company that went out of business. And uh, these were all the 45s from the jukeboxes okay. over the years. Get up there and like the roof is caving in and the buildings. But, you know, lo- there was still a lot of good stuff on the shelves. But water had gotten into the building. And it was, we were like tranching through stuff in our boots and mud and mold. And just one of the most gross places I've been because all the right? mold. And, so, but there was still a lot of good records on the shelves. But unfortunately, over time, a lot of it had like kind of molded itself into pockets. And so there were really good shelves of stuff that hadn't got wet and then pockets of things that were just completely destroyed and water damaged. Um, it was all 45s. I think we left there with about 250,000. And then you and, have um, to bring them back here and clean them all. It was a massive truck full, the entire back size of the biggest size you all you can rent, completely full of 45s. The, the truck was having a hard time getting up and down the mountains because of the weight. It was more than we thought it was going to be going up there. You know, he had said about 100,000. I think it was closer to 250. And 45s do sell, but they sell at my shop. They sell for a dollar to $2. Now I'm sure online they sell for a little bit more. Some stuff. Yeah, they, there's, you know, this was mostly like wholesale stuff. We just wholesaled a lot of this out in, in random lots of jukebox stuff and plucked out like maybe a couple hundred or even probably a couple thousand really good ones. But most of it was just, just wholesale. We just do massive lots of 45s and sell them. Was it worth the trip? Yeah, I made a little bit of money. It wasn't a home run. You right. know, not every single collection or thing you buy is a home run. Tell us about you a home get run. get a lot of base hits. And while the home run was that blues stuff, I came across a bunch of punk stuff a couple of weeks ago. And um, it was like two boxes of punk stuff that I bought for 50 bucks punk and metal and that was a home run there was a bunch of hundred dollar records in there yeah it just depends you know it's not all home runs you got to get a lot of base hits and (laughs) doubles and triples and 
sometimes you I buy things and break even on <laughs> but that's rare you know I'm to- I'm getting a lot better about that than I used to be but I know the longer we do this the better we get at it you learn a little bit every day you know just now, buying and buying and buying so. I know a lot of people come in and they're looking for Elvis is Elvis still a big seller I think he sells a lot of stuff but m- most of his stuff doesn't have a lot of value to it the only things that really have value were like the early Elvis what I tell people is like before he left for the war, all of that stuff could potentially have collectible value. After he got back and into the 70s and after he died, most of that stuff is so abundant, has little to no value. And then what about Elton John? Yeah, Elton John's another one. He has so much stuff that even with the movie coming out, you know, most of his records have very minimal value. They're, they're 4 or $5 down to a buck a piece on a lot of it. Some... Some of his stuff, you know, his greatest hits, even though there's like probably 20 million copies of it on the planet, it still sells well, but it's not something we're like making a lot of money on. It's just keeping the lights on and the the electric running, really. I mean, there's, we do a lot of volume on on cheap stuff. I mean, inexpensive records. So. The albums that are worth more money are the ones that less were put out tends to be the stuff that less was sold um things that have a cult following that a lot of them weren't pressed a lot of them weren't put out um a lot of the more obscure stuff tends to have more value than the big name stuff and we talked about the elton john movie of course when the queen movie came out their stuff went crazy that went crazy and now you have some of the older queen and now you have the new ones, which is called a re-release. Reissue, yeah, reissue, remaster, all kinds of different names for it. And the younger generation does like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And those go for about how much now? Anywhere from 20 up to 40 bucks. Uh, and if you have an older album that was from the 70s, what are you going to sell those for? It just depends. Like so, certain versions of the Queen stuff, some of it's really collectible now. You know, sometimes they bring more than the new ones, sometimes less. It just depends. If you have sealed original ones uh, and they're sealed like the new stuff, you know, they bring a lot more money. Um, it's just all condition dependent on, on right. the new stuff. Yeah. Um, what do you sell the most of? We sell a tremendous amount of Beatles stuff just because there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. So much of it comes through the door and goes back out the door quickly. And then it comes through again. I mean, we buy Beatles stuff like every other day. Is that right? I mean, I, I bought Beatles stuff this morning. I bought Beatles stuff Friday. I'm going to look at a Beatles collection tomorrow. There's just so much in Stones, Rolling Stones, just all the big name stuff, all the all the 60s and 70s rock, psychedelic rock, all all that stuff. Zeppelin, Beatles, Stones. There's so many different albums that are hot. What is the best moneymaker album for somebody to be out and about looking for right now? If I'm a record collector. And I like all kinds of music like you. What should I be out there looking for right now? Well, if you're a collector, whatever you like. You know, I think uh, whatever you personally like is what you should collect. I, I've i never based my collection on what's hot or valuable. It's just always what I've liked and what I've been into. You know, sometimes I get a lot of things that are hot and valuable and I don't want them, which is great. Then I right. can actually make a little money for once. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's not anything... That's it's such a hard question to answer because there's so many records out there. You know, a lot of 
things, um, since the internet has really opened people's eyes to how much stuff is out there in general. You know, a lot of records have gone down in value in the last 20 years. And then I think the stuff that's gone up is like 80s and 70s rock, 60s rock. Things that artists still try to emulate, you know, that classic music that just can't be imitated, you know. And that's the stuff that I think will always sell well. You know, we can't buy enough of it. Maybe it's not the most valuable stuff. Right. But we just can't keep it in stock, you know, at the store. Like Zeppelin, Beatles, Stones, Pink Floyd, Hendrix. There's all Bob Seger, you know, all that rock stuff. There's always people coming and asking for that stuff and the Queen. And it's just nonstop flow of it, you know. And it's not super, super hard to find. I guess it's hard to find in nice condition, in good condition. and well taken care of. And the better the condition, if it's still in the shrink wrap with all the original hype stickers on it and everything, in a better condition, the more it's worth and the more it sells for. I know the younger generation loves music and they love vinyl. They're all discovering. And I know my daughter went to a concert last night for, I want to say her name was Clario. Do they still go in the studio and make albums? A lot of it's, I, I don't know how that person specifically does, but there's still people that go in a studio, a lot of people, a lot of musicians. There's people that have home studios and they collaborate through the internet. There's there's so many different ways to make music these days. But do they know. make it on vinyl still? Oh yeah, they they take the tracks and press it on vinyl. It's a lot different now because uh, you know most artists are are taking their digital music and making it analog and putting it on vinyl. The digital stuff sounds the same as the vinyl. A lot of the new stuff where vinyl really shines is the older original stuff where it was analog equipment and analog recordings and it became digitized and you play that record versus that modern day compressed digital version. And it just, it opens your mind to the whole record. It's you hear all kinds of nuances and things you didn't hear. You're like, how come I've, I've heard this song a million times? How come I've never heard these parts before? And I've never heard this synthesizer and these backing vocals this way. And it's just because digital music is so compressed. And um, I think they've gotten better and better about it, but nothing beats a great, analog recording and a great record on on high-end equipment it's just impossible to beat and there's still some artists that use that analog equipment and still do it that way but i think a lot of the modern stuff is uh digitized and digital so i, I hate to break it to people but the digital recordings sound the same as the record the beauty of the record is you get the artwork you get that experience of playing the records and hanging out with your friends and enjoying it in it i think it's a tangible thing instead of some just digital thing you have on your phone it's making that music a tangible object again and you explained that to me once when a gentleman came in and he purchased an album and it was very good plus and he said it went home and it skipped and because his wife had purchased a turntable that was something to do with the grooves oh it just it was a real low-end turntable it didn't have a counterweight and so, of course, what is the thing that people think that is going to counterweight it? Because the gentleman said, oh, I'll just go home and throw a... A nickel or something. Oh, it was, yeah. It was... On the needle. Yeah. That's a bad thing, right? It's a bad thing. It, it, he just basically had a turntable that wasn't set up properly. And his solution was to grind his needle into the record as hard as he possibly could. Turntables have counterweights and they, uh, they balance the tone arms. 
and you want as little pressure as you can get away with to play your record properly because the less of that needle pushing into the grooves, the longer your record lasts and the less wear on the record. Some people, you know, just for whatever reason, don't want to buy a better turntable. Maybe they can't afford it, don't understand, and use those Crosleys and those low-end turntables, and it just grinds into the records. And I'll get those collections in here, and you can tell right away when somebody plays something with a bad needle or wasn't set up right because you look at the record and you can see groove wear on in the on the record. I mean, when you explained that, that to me, yeah. when I was trying to explain it to him, and you basically after the gentleman left, we basically talked and you said older music on an older album, the grooves are deeper and you hear more of the sound compared to the newer ones. Sometimes, yeah, on certain pressings, they have deeper grooves. Deeper grooves, but some people can listen to music on their phone. It's not going to be the same as an album. Right. Yeah, yeah. digital music is really compressed, and analog music is a wider frequency range. Because I remember I learned that, too, from... <laughs> from I mean, that's, that's really, like, kind of simplifying. There's all kinds of science behind it and stuff. And some of it, you know, the digital version and the, the the record sound the same because they're if you're taking music and recording it digitally and pressing it onto a record it's going to sound the same anyways so i'm just wondering why the younger generation is so excited about this because the sound yeah i think sound and it, it's tangible you know it's like you have all these things and it's all digital and there's no you know there's no artwork to the digital version and it's just kind of um this is like a tangible thing you can feel you're going to hold your hands Look at the lyrics. You can read it. You know, it's it's got beautiful artwork. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that people are, that are passionate about music want to physically own the music, and there's more of a connection there when they can hold it and touch it versus just playing it on your phone. And I mean, I play music on my phone all the time, but I still have a ton of records, and I get way more way more pleasure out of playing the records than I do just streaming some little thing to a crappy boombox and I feel like I hear half of the song you know it feels like it's it's kind of hot shallow and part of it's missing you know if somebody wants to buy an album from you and they're at a state we know they can come into the shop and everything goes you have your own little area over there but social media how can they find you if you just google vinyl record dude we're on all kinds of sites we have a facebook page vinyl record dude um, we have a website, vinylrecorddude.com. We are Vinyl Record Dude on Amazon, Etsy, Discogs, Reverb. We're on eBay as collectibles on the net, dude. If you Google Vinyl Record Dude, we're, we're all over the place. We have a Shopify store and we sell vinyl-themed all-over print shirts and blankets. And we have, we bring those down to the store, shower curtains too, down to the store all the time and all kinds of funky stuff like that. It's kind of our own products as well as the records, turntables. We carry music hall, audio stuff, authorized music hall dealer, authorized mobile fidelity dealer. We carry new vinyl down at the store. We bring mobile fidelity stuff down to the store a lot. And you guys stock up weekly. Yeah, and we bring stuff down there pretty much every week, new and used stuff. And and they're anywhere from $2 all the way up to Thirty dollars. Yeah, right? we have massive bins of dollar forty fives and all kinds of understock that DJs can come sort through dollar DJ singles all the way up to 
you know, some of the high-end stuff is 50 bucks plus and lots of 5 and $10 in between. I appreciate you um, telling us a little bit about what you do because you are a vinyl record dude picker <laughs> and none of this stuff just appears. You really have to work hard to get it, bring it into your shop, clean it up. Then it goes out the door, basically has your name on it. So you always want it to be good. Everybody knows where they could reach you on social media. And I'm going to go ahead and take some photos. So if you guys go to Everything Goes AZ on our website, you'll see some photos. And then also it will be on our Instagram. And that is under It Doesn't Just Appear. So thank you, Nick, for having me over to your warehouse. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. And everybody, thank you for listening. On that note, I will end on happy pickings. Mm -hmm.